Say something funny for the last one. Um, something funny. It's so hard, isn't it, when, you, when you're put on the spot like that? Why, why did you do that to me? You just try to embarrass me. Right. Welcome back to Not Another Whiskey Podcast. And as per Christmas 2021, we have a very, very, very special episode lined up for you all. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Charlie McLean on with us very shortly. We're going to be nipping off to his gaff to talk all things whiskey in 2022, some top threes, and a few recommendations for your festive tipples. Yes, Mitch, we do. But first, let's have a quick recap of 2022 because we have had tons of master distillers blenders distillery managers had a master of wood a few marketing gurus um independent bottlers bottlers brand home managers brand ambassadors and even managed to squeeze in a couple of pensioners so special mentions to ian miller stuart mcpherson and ken greer we are a very 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 inclusive podcast match May I'm sure they're not going to be back on the show after you call them pensioners. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, dude, it's pretty incredible. We managed to get 46 episodes out this year. Like, round of applause to us for that. I think for, for two kind of reprobates who drink a lot of whiskey, that's quite a good effort, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, the other cool thing I'm really proud of, Daz, is our live events that we managed to do. That was pretty cool. We had uh, Mr. Mark Thompson... Uh, he was uh, he joined us in May at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Association to talk all things Scotch Malt Whiskey. Well, no, it wasn't Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. 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 Um, yeah. To talk all things Glenfiddich. Uh, by the way, you know he's an icon of whiskey now. I've heard he's an icon of whiskey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. had it in my head that he'd won it six times, but apparently it was only three. So only three. Mark, you've got a lot of work to do, mate. Do better, Mark. <laughs> do better. What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, talking about that as well, mate. Um, big shout out to our our friend. Colin Hart at Glen Turret for getting an award for uh, Distillery Host Manager of the Year. And, you know, I was there a couple of weeks ago and uh, presenting the award to Mark Watson for Distillery Manager of the Year was a great honour for me. So our friend Mark Watson at the Holyrood Distillery, who I know listens to the podcast as well. Well done, Mark. And hiya. Hi, well done, mate. And yeah, the Loch Lomond guys as well. We had Gary Mills on not so long ago. Uh, they did pretty well with Glen Scotia. And we were obviously down at the Campbelltown Festival earlier this year with Nick um, Nick Bradley over there and yeah again with Charlie actually um, incidentally and 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 that was uh, yeah I mean we love Glen Scotia big fans and it's good to see them picking up some awards so uh, dude I think the other th- great thing that we did talking about the live sessions was the one that we did with Dave Broom yes yeah that was a great tasting actually with some really really delicious whiskies and our pals at the Wildcat in Edinburgh and of course Broomy Broomy joined us and, and co-hosted the episode to really look at that book that he's just released, A Sense of Place, which um, is a great insight into the sort of cultural aspects of distilleries and the impact they can have on the area and how they're shaped by that. So, yeah, really, really lovely lineup of whiskies. We did a, a nice Highland Park, a nice Ardemarkin. We did a Johnny Walker Gold Label from back in the day, which was Vintage. delicious, actually. That, that was a real crowd pleaser on the night. Yeah, yeah. It feels like we've had a good year. And yeah. it's been a lot of fun as well, you know. I mean, having a chat to you every week was was... Kind of one of the highlights of my year. Ah, oh, I wasn't <laughs> sure where you were going with that. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm looking over, looking forward to a bit of time off over Christmas. So, guys, this is going to be our last podcast for the year. We're going to return with our first episode in 2023, probably around about January 22nd. But don't mm-hmm. hold us to that. We may have a few 
extra whiskeys over January and might be a little bit later. Uh, so in that episode, Daz, we're going to share our plans for world dom- domination in the year, right? That's it, mate. Yeah, and I just wanted to say a massive thanks as well to all those that came to the events, that listened to the episode, heckled from afar, <clears throat> Brendan, and uh, shared their thoughts and insight with us as well because it has been uh, very, very valuable. Genuinely loved every moment, and it's so nice to meet uh, our listeners at various events. I- I'd been to a lot of the whiskey shows this year, and a big shout-out to Vicky Whiskey, who I just saw last week at the National Whiskey Festival um and uh, yeah she listens to them all when she's running and she does a lot of long distance running so she's heard us a lot wow. um and and cool. i was quite surprised at how much she'd actually taken in so a uh, special shout out to vicky and everyone else that's listened thank you all absolutely thank you to everyone who's been listening um, yeah but before mate before we get into charlie and yeah. um before we sort of wrap up for the year proper I wanted to just have a little look back at some of the whiskies that we've tasted, because that's what this is all about at the end of the day. And let's pick a couple of our favourites, a couple of standouts, Mitch. Um, should we do a drum roll? For a drummer, that was a terrible drum roll. Um, the vocal what, drum. Uh, like, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll kick it off, mate. Uh, you know, one of the ones that was surprising for me was a wee Tamdu eight-year-old that the guys at Bramble Whiskey Company, I loved, I loved that for a couple of reasons. It was 52% ABV. It yeah. was incredibly smooth. Uh, just it was all Oloroso sherry that was it was aged in. Um, it wasn't overcooked, obviously, being eight years old, just had yeah, that yeah. nice vibrancy about it, but still had a lot of mouthfeel. Uh, and the label, I just thought the label was just the coolest yeah. thing ever. Uh, just very kind of new school, like almost this graffiti style, uh, yellow background with I think it was I, I packed up the bottle now because I'm in the middle of packing up to so it's, it's a gorilla. Nice. Yeah, there's a big oh. gorilla on the back of it. Just not what you expect for for a whiskey label, you know. So that goes into to one of the ones for me. So shout out to to Mike and Jason at Bramble for that one. Good work, boys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was um, that that I'm going to get a chance to try that a little bit later on, actually. But I, it caught my eye for sure. Um, oh, I'm going to go. I was at this event with Loch Lomond uh, not so long ago, probably about a month or six weeks ago, and down in London, and we tried a nine-year-old Loch Lomond which had been distilled in the straight neck stills and it had been made using sh- uh, Chardonnay yeast. It was a, a lovely nine-year-old from Loch Lomond. And I, I loved it because I like fresh whiskeys, usually yeah. bourbon barrels sort of matured. And I do like young whiskeys. <clears throat> I'm a big fan of whiskeys that, you know, when they're good, when they're young, I just love that, the vibrancy and things like that they bring. That yeah. whiskey in particular was super zingy. It had loads of grapefruit peel, orange peel, really lemon bonbon kind of style. Um, and it kind of lasted a long time on the palate as well with those flavors. So I was really intrigued by that whiskey. And, and it, was it was was it the best whiskey I've ever tasted? Probably not, but it definitely stands out as one that was very different and very, very good. So I'm going to go with that Loch Lomond nine-year-old distillery edition. And that's interesting that we've both picked whiskeys under 10 years there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to take it to the next level. Uh, and the opposite end of the spectrum, I got invited down to a Glenfiddich event down in London mm. in the summer and uh, lucky enough to sit down in a beautiful venue in the middle of London and try Glenfiddich 30, 40 and 50 year old. So for me, you know, I've, I've tried quite a bit of the 50 year old. And um, again, this is the new version of it. Unbelievable whiskey. Just you know, I don't always go. I'm all about age. We've had this conversation several times on the podcast. Yeah. It's not always about age, but that Glenfiddich 50-year-old, somehow Brian keeps finding these casks that still has a vibrancy and you can still get the distillery character of Glenfiddich coming through. Uh, so it's a great example of how well Glenfiddich 
ages over time. For half a century, you you you, you can tell it's an old whiskey, but it's not that oaky tannic. Mm-hmm. You know, some we've had older whiskies before, and they just like they're chewy in your mouth and. Mm-hmm. I like to call that, you know, it's like 50 years young as opposed to 50 years old. So that yeah, was- yeah, I like that because you do. I mean, I, I and we've we had that conversation with Mark when we did the live uh, yeah. and we had the orchards um Glenfiddich orchard experiment. And and I, I always feel that younger Glenfiddich's better because of that vibrancy and freshness that it has the crunchy green apple, as I call it. You know, it always yeah, has yeah. that. Um, but if you're getting that in older whiskeys, plus you know, the benefits of tons of other flavors around that, they're absolutely brilliant. I've actually got the 40-year-old here, um, which I'll have a, a taste of later on tonight, probably, um, courtesy of, of Mr. Thompson. And I'm really looking forward to trying it, actually. I'm really, really excited to taste it. Nice, mate. Nice. Yeah, well, I'm not I'm not as, um, I'm not going to go as high age as you. Uh, again, I was at another event pretty recently. Um, and, you know, Bomore's a distillery of kind of, I've yet to really get my head around fully and really understand the, the depth of flavors and things because it has this amazing kind of legacy reputation um, as, as being a great single malt. And the 21-year-old Master Selection, which is uh, a combination of sherry and American oak, but predominantly American oak, especially in comparison to the, the Master Selection last year, um, delicious, really loved it. Got to see that little bit of a uh, tropical fruit character that comes through in Bowmore, which when balanced off with a bit of smoke uh, and a bit of those oak flavors, um, absolutely brilliant. Really enjoyed it actually. And it was uh, it was one that I just sort of sat and just kind of left in the glass for a bit. And every time I went back to it, I did get something different, which um, which I got a lot of time for. So that was a nice. uh, yeah, delicious whiskey, really good. Kind of was that? For me as well. Did you drink that after you drove there, Aston Martin as well? Did that help the? Uh, yeah, 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 totally, exactly. Was <laughs> a nice, uh, a nice bit of balance to life. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> All right, so for those that haven't had the pleasure of Charlie's company, Charlie is the biggest personality in the whiskey world, in my opinion, and oh, many I'm not others. Sure what he means. What does he mean oh, by that, Charlie? Come on. Come Physically on. Or, or personality? So I, I walked in here, I said you lost weight. He's looking, he's looking fit as always. Yeah, he's a multi-award winning author of 18 books now on whiskey. He's been awarded the an MBE by the Queen for his services to the whiskey industry and is the nicest guy you can meet within the whiskey world. Over the years, he's been more than generous with his time to both Daz and I, and is someone we both consider a mentor and a good friend. Oh, Mitch, that's so kind of you. Yeah. My pleasure, man. My I pleasure. Mean, I, feel, I feel embarrassed by all these, these lavish compliments. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm really quite a modest chap, as you know. I know, you, you are. You are indeed. You are indeed. Well, Charlie, listen, welcome back to the podcast. Third time on it. So yeah. you're, uh, you're our most prestigious and guest that we've had on the most amount of time so i'm loving the fact that we're sitting in your your flat again and it was almost this time last year when we recorded this last episode so i'm thinking we make this more of a tradition now every year just before christmas why don't we yeah Yeah, yeah. sounds like a plan actually i think this year we probably did it the right way around we haven't had 14 cocktails each before we started (laughs) recording (laughs) i think we're all like slurring by the time we got to start we're learning aren't we we're always gaining experience yeah but we will probably have had 14 cocktails by the time we've become completely inarticulate i'll have to do another three-hour edit on it all again (laughs) at least we recorded it this time yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) right charlie so let's talk about your 2022 how's it been um it's been good actually the whole of the lockdown period has been good to me the um you know writing is a solitary pursuit and Mm. the um and I've been doing a lot of t- nosings and tastings, either online or with people sending me samples, Zooms and things like that. And that's kept me going. 
Um, on the writing side, I haven't been, I'm not working on any particular big, I've got one in, my, in mind, um, but I haven't yet addressed it. And the, uh, it's about blended scotch. Mm-hmm. The, um, but I haven't yet, I haven't yet got stuck into it. Um, so it's been, it's been good. I mean, steady rather than, than, than hugely successful. And of course, travel has been much limited, which I'm quite happy about. I mean, in 2019, I was 23 times abroad in 17 countries. And I mean, the, the, uh, hardly got between, between the 1st of September and the end of October, at the end of November, in 90 days, I was 10, 10 nights in my own bed. Yeah. Know. You hardly, you, well, you know that as a, a, being a brand ambassador. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a brand ambassador, but it, you know, it just happened that there was, yeah. there was a lot of... Category call. ambassador. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's been good, it's been good. But then, and I'm quite glad not to be traveling quite so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's the same with, uh, with all of us in this room right now, not yeah. having to travel as much this year. Yeah, yeah, no, it has. It's been good actually. I've enjoyed the um, I've enjoyed the time at home a bit more as well, and it gives you that time to reflect, as you say. You know, and if you want to sit and consider what your options are, writing new books, exploring new opportunities that might be coming your way or whatever, then you've had probably reading, a bit more time reading, to do it. Reading a lot. I mean, I, yeah, I've, right. I've become a, a devotee of Walter Scott. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I don't know what put me onto this, but I start at the beginning. I've got a complete set of the Waverley novels. And right. Uh, and I think I'm about halfway through. So in other words, I think I've read about twelve. Right. You know, in the, uh, um, and I love it when you get used to his style, which is a bit prolix. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It does go on a bit, but the yeah. uh, but he's 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 very amusing, um, and his Scots, the use of the Scots tongue is great. I mean, so, yeah. so that, but I mean, so so reading, you know, that 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 that's been a great thing. So a good friend of mine actually, I was at a, doing a tasting for him quite recently. He's the CEO over at All Saints, and he was like, "Could you come and host my suppliers?" just do like a whiskey tasting and just drop in some bits and pieces. And we were sort of chatting away. He's a real Burns enthusiast. But during lockdown, he read every Hemingway book. Wow. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He totally just, every moment he had when he wasn't working or looking after the kids, he was sat reading all Great. of Hemingway's work. And, and, and it's funny that because it, it kind of, you go down that rabbit hole, don't you? And you, you, do. you kind of, you can't wait to get on to the next one. You yeah. can't wait to get on to the next one. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I, I read a, a Peppa Pig book the other day. It was amazing. It just, I, struggled right, yeah, yeah. It. I struggled through it, but it had pictures, so I was all right. Yeah, phonetically. Yeah. <laughs> oh, funny. Charlie, let's talk. Well, I mean, let's go back to 2022. So a couple of highlights for you within the whiskey world. What do you think? Anything that, that stuck mm. out in particular, whether it be whiskey-wise or... Oh, Mitch, you need to give me time to think about that. Yeah. I mean, there's, two, there's probably two things I think that this year, I'd love to chat to you about Charlie as well, would be, I guess, changing in laws. Um, so we saw a lot of cask innovation, Calvados casks, Mezcal casks, and all that kind of stuff, and how that's kind of transpired, I suppose, through the year. Um, and another one, as is, is always every year, is new distilleries. I mean, it's just mm. try to keep up. When did Guntarit come on stream? Uh, Glentorrit 2019 is when when it was taken over was taken yeah. over properly yeah and but then the new releases the first the maiden releases were 2021 21 yeah yeah because I was going to say it really came into above my radar in 22 yeah I think this um, year I think you're right because the we, well you've got a bottle of triple wood here I brought mm-hmm. a bottle of uh, Glentorrit 15 um, I just got a message from Colin there actually I might go for dinner there on Wednesday next week if I'm oh, playing my card right. My good boy. boy. My good boy. Yeah, yeah. boy. <laughs> and I, I, I agree completely. I think what they have achieved in a short space of time mm. is remarkable. Mm. Yeah. yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Such a beautiful uh, spot to go and visit. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, to your point, that's I think yeah, so many distilleries have, have opened up or there's been plans again this year to yeah. open up. It's been quite incredible. 
we were going to do some homework on this and, and list all the distilleries that have opened and going to be opening, but but um, we didn't. We yeah, forgot yeah. to do that because we're <laughs> all over the place right now. But I mean, off the top of my head, you got the Cairn that opened mm-hmm. up, Gordon McPhail. Um, the, we've got the new one on Isle of Sekinda's one that's going to open up. That's the, mm-hmm. that's going to open next year, right? Yeah, Eastern, I mean, Eastern Brent's possibly. been broken on that yeah. for sure. Will it be as early as that? Won't be as early as that then. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And then Skinda obviously took over Tormore as well. That's what I'm looking yeah, forward to seeing. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, excited about that. One. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we could we could talk about that later because I I've got a list that's probably incomplete because as you say they spring up like mushrooms and yeah. you, you you never you never complete the list. Well, and, and remember we were down in Campbelltown. Yeah. You got three that's, potentially, uh, well, yes, two that, definitely, but maybe three. Yep, popping exactly. up in Campbelltown soon. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Crazy. then we we were chatting last week, weren't we, in the episode Sibara's got the funding secured for their distillery now I as well that. which is really exciting yeah yeah, yeah. so there's a like yeah, mushrooms are like that yeah yeah, yeah they are i mean <laughs> and, 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 and yeah. mushrooms yeah <laughs> <laughs> totally I can't, I can't wait to try those products yeah <laughs> um but yeah that that's the exciting thing and, and, and internationally as well i mean we were chatting just before we started recording about a, a chinese distillery yeah um world whiskeys definitely seems to be something that is now getting a lot of airtime because the quality is brilliant. You know, mm. I was over in Stowning this year. Oh, were you? It was a, a Yes, I've heard good reports of Stowning. Oh, yeah. great whiskies. Um, nice influence from rye. In fact, I think it's that, that big folder there, I think, is an invitation to the, the formal opening. Yeah. May or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, they are amazing guys. B- beautiful distillery. Great, great thinking and stuff behind it. And they've gone in the old ways, like a lot of new distilleries are doing, actually. Well, they're bringing in, you know, modern techniques, but they're also leaning on old ways, you know, mm interesting yeast strains direct fire stills um floor maltings at stowning which is fascinating which is a bit of a combination of floor malt and salad and box um and they've as they're scandinavian they've applied their own thinking which is very clever and i'm kind of looking at theirs going why doesn't everyone just do it like that you know and because it, yeah. it's so commonsensical but it's yeah but of course yeah. the million dollar question is is, is with all these these because hey there's what something like 40 45 new distilleries in production since 2000 and or I think it is, or 2006. Yeah. And the, um, so the, the, but as well as this huge growth in capacity and, and, and let alone the expansion of distilleries like Ben Livet and Ben Fiddick, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, is, are these, we, we call them rather arrogantly non Scotch whiskies, are they going to become a, 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 a serious competitor to Scotch whiskey globally? Mm. And it is, it is an open question. I don't think so. The, the the markets that I've dealt with, the the the, the tradition and and the dare I say it, the romance associated with Scotch, um, gives it an edge over non-Scotch. Mm. Um, and the other interesting thing that co- connected to that is that the as you were saying about Stowning, the the um, they and in, and the same is true of many of the new distilleries in Scotland that they're exploring flavour is is central. Yeah. They, they're not making spirit for filling purposes for mm. for, for for blending. They've got to stand on flavour, mm-hmm. and so they're exploring yeasts. They're exploring barley varieties. Exploring longer fermentations. They're exploring wood types, um, all sorts of things to to. Uh, to give USPs to 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 their product. Yeah, and that, um, that's that's great, isn't it? Because it's that that drug of giving you know decent volumes of stock to blenders, which is a great income source and a great way to make your distillery efficient. They don't have that. No, they don't. They don't have that need and that rely that reliance on it, and that mm. that does change. And that, we've seen that in a lot of the new distilleries. So they can do 
smaller runs of more interesting things. This word consistency doesn't yeah. really apply to them exactly. because it doesn't make them interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Because the blenders want consistency. Yeah. Above all, they want consistency. Yeah. And so their hands are tied. So the, the, if the customer, as it used to be in the old days, the customer is the blender. Yeah. And the gearing, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the distilling program for the year was geared to their filling orders. Yeah. Um, but now the, 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 they haven't got that, a lot of them. Mm. Very few of them, I think, probably, are, are, are um, have filling arrangements. Inchterny is one, obviously. Mm. Um, I think Gardner Merkin has a, has a, a small one. Mm -hmm. But you know, the the the, the big blenders, um, they don't really need. They may do if if blended scotch, if India takes off, for example. Yeah, yeah. Blended scotch whisky market, um, or China. Yeah. Um, so I remember anyway. I was on a, I was on a tasting with Bill. And um, yeah. I kind of had that question for him, and then I realised he doesn't actually blend any blended whiskey. Yeah, he's, right. he's only making single malts these days, so I asked the wrong person. Um, but, <laughs> exactly. uh, Fuck but, off. but yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he said I, I don't really do that. I understood. I laughed, Richard. But the the my point to him was though: at what point do these new distilleries, you know, look at that and, and do, do a Diageo? Uh, a White Mackay and Edrington, you know, look at some of these smaller distillers as a source of good, reliable malt for their blends, you know, because they are fruity, fragrant, floral, whatever it might be that they yeah. need for their blends. Yeah. And and it is, it's, 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 it's quite funny because it'll almost be like them growing up a little bit, some of these distilleries and becoming quite mature by having that ability to create consistency, but then also create interesting products on the back of that, which can cover all yes. sorts of flavour profiles, if yeah, you wish. Yeah. Um, but I'm and not sure you think of Distill Ventures, the, mm. the Diageo's investment programme, to help what they, well, companies that they believe will, um, are well-founded and producing. It may be that they have in mind that the, um, they might be useful for blending. I don't know, I'm thinking of, um, uh, well, obviously there's the Australian one, Star Ward. Yeah, but that's 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 not scotch. Um, but I think I think the interesting thing is, you know, you go back. I mean, I'm going to go back to when we we first met, thirteen years ago. Who would have thought right now that we'd be in the situation where we've got all these old distilleries that had been mothballed reopening again? Mm. We've now got traditional distilleries that are almost getting to your point earlier on. These world whiskies are kind of pushing them to be a little bit different mm. and look at how they can change their flavour profile. I mean. You know, going back to when we first met, the the, the chat was always within Scotch whiskey. Yeast doesn't matter. We, yeah, we just, that's right. yeah. you know, and now that yeah. that whole script is starting yeah. to change. Yeah, which is quite interesting. I know it's very interesting indeed. Well, in in our time, and really the the importance of wood mm. has been recognised. Um, you know, Nettleton here, which was the his magnum opus, was the first edition, so I think in eighteen ninety six, and then the the expanded edition nineteen thirteen. And it's over a thousand pages, mm. and um, he devoted um, a page and a half to wood maturation. It was completely discounted. Wow! wow. You know? Just that, just uh, a vessel uh, to hold. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they they would look at the color when they disgorged the cask. They would look at the color. They would smell it, and they'd either tick the, the cask, refill it, or cross break it up and, mm. and make it into garden furniture and, and chips for smoking salmon. Um, and I mean, it's really only since malt whiskey has taken off that so, and really, I mean, we're really talking about the 90s, 80s, 90s. I mean, there, obviously there was some coming on after yeah. the, after Glenfiddich in, in the early 60s. Um, and then some independent bottlers, the, the, or non-DCL. Um, 
you know, and and they and they were looking for for um, flavor mm-hmm. and the and differentiating, you know, regional differentiations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but um, it's really only within I would I would say within the last thirty years yeah. that the would the understanding of what's happening in in during maturation. Mm. Um, has been studied and 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 you know the the the, the, the what they call the mechanisms of of, of, of maturation. Um, but you 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 wrote a book which I found. I don't know. I don't think we did talk about this last year. You might have one knocking about. You wrote McAllen's Six Pillars in nineteen ninety eight. Was it ninety eight? Yeah, yeah that's right. that was yeah. the first iteration of that. In my understanding, is and um, I found the booklets. Uh, in one of the cupboards in the distillery randomly and there was a, only a tiny box left of them but they were fascinating because the six pillars back then are very different to what they are now <laughs> they are. Yeah. Are, there, are there any are there any, are there any? yeah <laughs> totally uh, and one was a cocktail of yeasts that's right one that's was right. Um, direct fire stills that's right and one was exceptional sherry oak casks that's right and yeah. there is quite a lot of detail in that even at that point from you yeah. and I guess from John Ramsey possibly who'd probably given you yeah. some of that information I guess uh, on you know the influence of these casks and yeah. their impact on McAllen at the time and um, it was really interesting reading because while some of it's changed the, the skeleton hasn't changed that much you know small stills heavy spirit yeah big sherry casks and, yeah. and, and you know that's ultimately what they're still still trying to do today um, but that was 98 you know that's a long time well, ago yeah. yeah yeah I suppose it is Seems like yesterday. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> right, come on, let's get stuck into some of these shows. Well, well, before we do that, we want to, I think, you know, it's great looking back on what was, what's was what been going on in whiskey, but talking about the future, what do you think, Charlie? Crystal ball. What's going to happen in 2023? Predictions from Charlie McLean here. You, it'll be like that groundhog, you know, when they bring it out. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, yeah. I think that the... The key, the key markets that to look at are China and India. Now, China has been still in more or less lockdown, but mm. Diageo particularly did a lot of work on uh, the Diageo Whiskey Academy to educate um, and inform about appreciating whiskey rather than just campaign down the hatch and be, um, it was too appreciate. And it's been, it's, it's done terribly well. As you know, I've got two bars named after me in, in uh, yeah. Beijing and Guangzhou. And uh, or Hanjo, and the um, uh, both of which are closed <laughs> because of COVID, and plans for for building another eleven um, have gone by the board. Well, wow. unfortunately, but still, the um, there is a great interest and appetite for Scotch, and particularly Scotch malt, mm. in China, um, growing, growing significantly. Mm. So, I don't know about blend in in the Chinese market, but the um, but malt certainly is doing terribly well and, mm. and will continue um, when things relax a bit. Mm. So long as the Chinese government don't start in, in, imposing huge taxes and things, which they haven't done so far. Chinese distilling, of course, is, is there. Well, they've got in our department called CADA, the China, China Alcohol Development Association, I think it is, and the, um, and the, which is working very closely with the Scotch Whiskey Association to, to produce guidelines or rules about how Spirit, the spirit can be made and should be made and the maturation time, whatever, you know, three years at least, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that the, the interest in whiskey will grow in China and the and scotch will, will remain ahead for the foreseeable future. India, 
Now, of course, India has always been a tricky market because mm-hmm. the, 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 some years ago, the SWA and the World Trade Organization persuaded the Indian central government to reduce their punitive tariffs, um, which they agreed to. They were delighted because yeah. they'd make more tax, quite yeah. frankly. But then, lo and behold, they'd forgotten, seemingly, that the, 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 all, anything to do with alcohol is done state by state. <coughs> and so many of these states, and many of them are dry, officially dry yeah, states. Yeah. And Gujarat, for example, Gandhi's uh, state, um, you know, there's more, there's more whiskey drunk in Gujarat than any, any other, but it's, but it's a dry state, you know. Mm. And then there was one down in the south which, where they, they went dry. And uh, then lo and behold, of course, boutiques were set up all around the borders so people could <laughs> nip over and get their, get their, get their, their liquor. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Indians adore, as you will know, seven out of the ten top-selling whiskies by volume mm. in the world, seven are Indian. Yeah. And, of course, a lot of these are not, strictly speaking, whiskey um, in, by international definition yeah. because they, they, they have a molasses alcohol base you know, yeah, um, and there's, I mean, there are some Indian whiskies that are, that are properly made that, are, that we'll think of Paul John and we, yeah, uh, we should have brought Andy. some down actually. We did, we did a tasting with Rampur. Yeah, um, oh yeah, that's and, very good stuff. And their double mm. cask was delightful. Yeah. Um, the Asava, which was the Indian red wine finish, was really delicious. Actually, perfect for this this time of year. It was much heavier, wasn't it? I was actually drinking that last week. Are you? Yeah. Oh. Well, Joe's got into whiskey now, and she loves that. Yeah, yeah, it's delicious. It's one of her favourite whiskeys. Yeah, 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 it's got a lovely, a lovely flavour profile. Asava. Asava, yeah. So it's the it's it's Rampur. Yeah. Um, and it's their Indian red wine cask finish. Gosh. Basically, is, I think it was the first one, right? Indian whiskey to finish in, in wine casks. In their own wine casks, yeah. yeah. And it's like I think it's an Indian cabernet or something like yeah. that. It is. It's delicious. My my father in law is Indian background by way of South Africa, um. So his family originated from India, ended up in Peter Maritzburg and he came here in the 1960s. I think 1961 he came here and um, what I love about sort of Indian culture is the consumption with food. Yes. You know, we always see it in, in the UK as very different sports. We, we drink or we eat. We very rarely do the two at the same time yeah. when it comes to whiskey that is. Um, but in India, it's, it's, it's whiskey with food, right? I mean, it's so consistent and it, it works and I guess that's a... What's the best whiskey with, with curries? With curries? Oh, yeah. that's a good that's question. A yeah, yeah. I, in the Raj, they used to drink brandy and soda or whiskey and soda. Yeah. And in, in my view, um, Johnny Walker Red Label. Yep. I don't like whiskey and soda terribly, but Johnny Walker Red Label with water yeah. is, is um, drinking long, you know. Is, is a very good account because it's slightly spicy character. Yeah, you know? yeah. A bit fiery, but as well, we've got bit something fiery, to say. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I would agree with that. And it has usually been sort of blends. Um, mm-hmm. my, my, my father-in-law now has, you know, he's got very particular taste these days that his son-in-law is in the whiskey industry. So his, uh, his <laughs> expectations have him, shifted. Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally, yeah. But I, when we met, Hannah and I, we, I was working on Johnny Walker quite a lot. So he, he was loving life because he was getting as much Johnny Walker basically as he kind of wanted. He got quite annoyed when I moved to Highland Park because it wasn't a distillery he knew very well. And he didn't really, you know, it didn't bring the prestige perhaps that Johnny Walker did. But then quite quickly he realised that Highland Park's a very good whiskey. So he was he was okay in the end. Uh, uh, Highland Park goes very well actually with curry because of the little hint of smoke. All right. So last year, Charlie, you told us that Santa drinks sherry. <laughs> brought we sherry into you with us. Actually, we're gonna we're drinking some viewers, which is, yours which is well. where we failed last year, didn't we? We came to Charlie's house. We didn't bring one sherry, and and he says, "What?" Well, we asked him, "What does Santa drink?" And he said, 
sherry and we were like oh, oh we brought 10 whiskies with us <laughs> i think at that point as well it we pretty much gone tits up because we're yeah. about seven cocktails yeah. deep I, I also i also do i do think that bringing whiskey to charlie mclean's house is a little bit like taking sand to the desert isn't it it's like yeah. it's unnecessary but yeah. yeah all right let's let's chat about what's on our glasses then we've got a couple of sherries in front of well, us right now. i am a great fan of sherry i must say particularly at lunchtime and we are recording this at lunchtime yeah. before lunch um um, and I've got, I've, well, we've got before, between us, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six. We've got six different sherries to look at. Um, I don't think we necessarily will. But <laughs> it's going to be see, a long episode. Yeah, today. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, we, can, we, can, we, can, we can have a look at some of them. And, the, uh, and in front of us, we have a Fino and a Manzanilla. Um, very pale, mm. uh, light sherries. Um, Pre, pre-prandial, no, pre, pre-dinner, pre-lunch, um, clean, fresh. And I think that in terms of Santa, it would really rather depend upon what time of day he's visiting. Yeah. You know? So up in the north, when it's sort of fairly, when it's dark, fairly early in the evening, he may prefer um, one of these, these Fino or Manzanilla-style yeah. cherries um, to, a, to a big rich one. And then as the evening goes on, the night goes on, we, he, and we will go on to the bigger, darker, richer styles of, uh, of, of sherry. So, hmm. which way do you want to do these? Do you want to look at the Manzanilla first? Yeah, yeah, or? let's have a little taste of the Manzanilla. Yeah, yeah. it's just lovely yeah. and fresh. This, is, uh, this Manzanilla is from the Port Leith. So we've had the Port Leith guys on um, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, yeah. maybe a month ago. Um, brilliant guys, great story, obviously, with the distillery down in Leith and this vertical distillery. Yes. You know, so... Uh, a very small footprint and making the most of it by building up the way as opposed to out the way, which most distilleries do, don't they? They tend to sprawl. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so these guys are basically gathering casks for what will, you know, look after their whiskies in time. So they've brought over some lovely ports. Uh, I think it's all, is it ruby ports that they're bottling at the moment or tawny ports? I think they're bottling ruby ports. They're also doing white ports. They've bottled an Oloroso and a Manzanilla as well so far. Uh, and this Manzanilla is absolutely delicious. It's really lovely. A little bit of salinity in Manzanilla, mm. isn't there, down there? In Classically, yeah. Classic, yeah. yeah. I mean, down on the coast. Um, I was saying earlier on that sherry always makes me hungry, and I literally <laughs> haven't. I've hardly eaten today. Yeah. So if anyone hears any rumbling, it's definitely my stomach right now. <laughs> well, what are we getting on the nose here of this Manzanilla? The, 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 it's, it's curious because I was thinking... I started to think of tinned lychees, mm. um, and but then there is a sort of a very faint sort of caramel note, toffee yeah. note. Yeah, very subtle. But there's definitely that lychee note. I, I, you always get a bit of peel, don't you? A little bit of fresh citrus lemon, a little bit of oil, something like that, nice and clean. It does go into those kind of slightly sweeter notes. And so in the mouth, fresh, lightly acidic, mm. and very lightly salty, this particular one. Yeah. This is this is not as salty as, as many Manzanillas. Yeah, no, I agree. It's very pleasant. This time of day, clear sky, mm. crisp outside, gorgeous, mm. perfect, cold cherry. Mm. Yeah, right about Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And I, I don't perfect. associate. It's funny though. I don't associate sherry with Christmas personally, because I I probably drink it more in spring and summer. Would you? You're well, a big sherry guy. Well, because I, I drink a lot of fino and a lot of Manzanilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and I love it. Um, yeah. And Yes, the sweeter sherries, your Pedro Jimenez's, your you know your cream sherries and stuff like that. But they're Christmassy, aren't they? They're very so, yeah. comforting, very sort of sweet and sticky and all of that, and they're brilliant yeah. at Christmas. But actually, these types of sherries, I I love. 
at any time of year. But any time the sun's out, it feels like a good time for a nice glass of manzanilla, I say. Yeah. 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 I think it's interesting. cold. Yeah. 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 It's interesting talking about the consumption of sherry right now, right? I think the UK is still the biggest market in the world for it. Is that right in saying that? Um, I think it's yeah. 30% was like the, the last so. time. That's export, definitely, yeah. But one of the things that, you know, that, that I certainly talk about is, well, if I'm chatting to consumers, I was like, well, when was the last time anyone drunk a sherry? Mm. And most of the time everyone's like, well, that, not really at all. Yeah. Or I saw my my grandparents drinking it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and yeah. I, I suppose the, the, the big argument right now is, well, how much sherry is actually being sold and how much is the Scotch whiskey industry keeping that? part of the industry well flow. but no you remember i mean the scotch whiskey industry keeps the sherry industry in spain going because ordering casks mm-hmm. it's the coopering mm-hmm. and, and seasoning with sherry um, and there's no doubt that the the without that the the the, the whole industry in in in, um, in spain would go tits up but well, we we, we were spain. we were there 10 years ago we were chatting about this earlier williams and humbert mm. massive bodega that that is the biggest single wine warehouse in europe is the Williams like, and Humber yeah. facility there in Jerez. It's amazing. So, so that's the cathedral-like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful yeah. arches yeah. And, the, and the diagonal sort of shapes oh, of casks. So amazing. I think in there, say there's 50,000 casks under that roof, right? But are these Solaris? They, are they all Solaris? No, no. In there, so I think in there, Stuart McPherson would give us a better number. 50% of the casks in, in that bodega are for whiskey. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so well, they season them there. They, they season them, them in those bodegas yeah. and then they leave there and then they come over to Scotland eventually. So tons of casks in, in those yeah. warehouses. So there's a great example. You know, that's a massive, massive and I bodega. think I'm right in saying, Daz, that the the, 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 the whiskey industry, the individual companies will, will order and they'll, well, they, well, either it's American oak or European oak. Yeah. I suppose they can do, they're the mainly butts, I suppose, but they'll do hogsheads as well. So the way it works is, yeah, you order butts. But you get what you get, but you get the volume. So Wait, it all depends. Are we talking about sherry here, or we're talking about the trees? Talking about the trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when they chop, when they chop the staves. Yeah. If there's a fault, I think it's one point four meters for a butt. I think it's one point two meters for a hoggy or one point one. Um, if there's any imperfections in that top bit, they'll just chop it down. I see. So you you know they can't guarantee how many butts and how many hogsheads are going to get because they don't I know the condition see. of the wood. And until they've done that. Then they can figure it out mm. with how many how many staves and stuff mm. they end up with, and then they build a cask. So Didn't I think you that. order a you you've got an idea of what you're ordering. You order that, and then they will fulfil the volume. And it might be that you ordered a hundred hoggies and a hundred butts. You may end up with fifty butts and one hundred eighty hoggies. Yeah, yeah, I just see. just because of the nature of the the wood. And then the then then this they're seasoned first with mosto, aren't they? The wine can be yeah for, for a short period of time, yeah. and then with. Specified sherry, usually Oloroso. Usually guess. Oloroso, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for a specified period of time. Because so we were, we would season, I remember at Edrington, it was, a, I think roughly it was about two and a half years, but I think the time had come down. I, I think they brought it back up. I think Macallan, it was, it was shorter than that. Yeah. Um, year and a half, something like that. I think you're right, yeah. But it had and to go back up because then it's not a sherry, right? It, go, it had to go up over two years. When they changed the laws, I think to be on Oloroso does not have to be in a cask for two years. I don't know that, actually. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyone that knows, write in. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the exact loot. Stuart is the, is the guy. I mean, he, he would he would know. But it's it fascinating what you're saying about the ordering of casks. Because remember before, you, you knew these guys um, better than anyone probably. You're George Espies, who were mm. running places like the Clyde Cooperage. Yeah. And ultimately, they had the monopoly on the sherry casks that were coming into Scotland, didn't they? And they would almost distribute them out. Because it was a... Ian McLeod would get theirs from there. All Suntory or Beam... 
Morrison Bomore, you know, they would have all got theirs from there. Uh, and Edrington obviously got all theirs from there. So they had quite a quite a hold on the industry at that point. Going back quite a while. But now they? people are dealing directly with bodegas. Now, they're going direct now, yeah. definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, for example, the my understanding is that the likes of Glenfarclas or more, they specify four years seasoning. Yeah, okay. And the, So it, it does vary, and depending upon the... The, the individual distillers or blenders, yeah. what they think, the, 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 how much time they want to... Yeah. to uh, um, and, it, and it's crazy, isn't it? Like, going back to the demand for this stuff, I remember going over to Ref and I, and I, and I was chatting to them about what's going to happen to the sherry, and they gave me two answers. They were like, a lot of the time it gets turned into sherry vinegar or yeah. it gets poured down the drain. Mm. Yeah, that's that's absolutely insane. can be distilled off as well, can't it? Mm. It can be put through as a... Branded to Jerez. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Branded to Jerez. Which is very oh. nice. Well, I've had a few moments on that. I remember we were in El... I was with you, in fact. We were at El Agostado. And I'd been there quite a lot. But that particular time, I remember, we were there with you and, and the whiskey writers, um, Gavin Smiths and, and these guys. Led, yeah. led by um, Uncle Ken Greer. That was epic. Because we had um, uh, Narciso and Manolo and That's all these right. guys from like Tavasa Cooperage and some of the bodegas and things like that. Well, we'd had dinner, a lunch, a three-hour lunch. Uh, various levels of, of sherry, finos, olorosos, manzanillas and things like that. We'd gone through them all. Um, and at the end, one of the older guys had gone away and, and just drawn some brandy from some casks. So we were drinking cask strength brandy de Jerez <laughs> with our coffees, so kind of Carajillo style. And Jesus, I mean, that was um, nothing to do with the 27 sherries I had at lunch. <laughs> it was definitely the brandy at the end that, that sort of took my legs away from yeah, me. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking, we all sort of stumbled out of that bodega. It's fucking brandies. They always I do know, that, right? Yeah. It's, like the, the, it's like tequila, right? You always yeah. blame the tequila. The brandy definitely got hold of me that night. Yeah. Can I just uh, go back a second and recognise that Charlie said tits up on the uh, podcast, which Did I absolutely love. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry. More of that, please, Charlie. Sorry. No, just don't apologise. Beep that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't talked about the Fino. No. The, the Fino, it's, it, this is a, a Tia Pepe. It's gone already. Frankly, it's disappointing compared with your Manzanilla. It's not as, as aromatic. A bit flatter. Yeah, definitely flatter. Yeah, yeah I was going to say Tis, tis, tis. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy to drink, but... It's still the, tasty, uh, though. I mean, mine's got... Yeah, yeah, it's got a hole in your glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, we look, I know, I know. happening to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that's maybe consistent, though. That Manzanilla, definitely, with that little hint of saltiness, it does it does hit the palate slightly differently. It does make the mouth water. It gets those salivation mm. sort of sensations going on. Mm. And, and the Teal Pepe, I mean, it's a, it's a good... Well, I mean, it's a ten or a bottle, right? I mean, Teal Pepe yeah. in the shops or something. Mm, yeah. Sherry still remains great value, pound for pound, as, as a product, I believe. Yeah, yeah same here. Yeah, I, Absolutely. Let's right. do the... the I'm, I'm dying to taste this Apostolis. The, you want to uh, go with the Apostolis, right? Okay. Don't you think the... the um, is that yours, Dad? Uh, no, this isn't... No, 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 no I may have brought the, it. This I don't this know if it's your own. Present. Is it yours? Yeah. yeah. yeah you yeah. gave me a bottle of that two years ago. I still haven't opened it yet. Yeah. So, while Daz is opening this bottle and pouring it up, let's chat Hogman, eh, Charlie? What's the plans? Well, I have been asked to cook a shepherd's pie. I'm something of an expert on shepherd's pie. Mm -hmm. And quite often with these particular friends, we have a shepherd's pie competition. And so is it maybe two or three of us will be making shepherd's pies. And the... Uh, um, what do you uh, call that? Is it a shepherd's pie-off? <laughs> well, my boys, my boys have a... Uh, They've revised a a uh, um, an 18th century Edinburgh club called the Pious Club, which used to meet and eat nothing but pies. No and, way. and they they they've had two meetings of the Pious Club um, so far, which have been hugely successful. Now, 
the, 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 the true pious club, they should be freestanding pies, not, not like a you know, shepherd's pie with mashed potatoes mm. on top. And it's not freestanding. The pure pie. Pure pie. No messing about. No. So no, what, how does it, what, what, what defines a shepherd's pie? Well, I mean, traditionally, shepherd's pie. pie. Shepherd, you're doing shepherd's pie. Well, yeah. cottage pie is beef, right. technically. Yeah. And um, shepherd's pie is minced lamb. Right. Um, and really, it's, 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 that's it, really. Onions, carrots, minced lamb. Um, a rich, mashed potato. A rich gravy, and then mashed potato on top. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes neeps, mashed neeps, as a layer between the meat and the, the, the potato. So I, didn't, I didn't usually bother with that. Secret, little secret in the in the mashed potato as well, maybe like um, something in there, um, or yeah, is it nut, all about the nutmeg? Meat? Nutmeg is good. Nutmeg, there you nut, go. Sprinkle the nutmeg on the top. Hopefully, your guys that you're competing against aren't listening to this, Charlie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, you're letting these secrets away. <laughs> and the uh, I'm writing these recipe notes down actually, just in case next year um, we get involved. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the secret in the mince is um, HP sauce. Oh, yeah. or um, or so you need something vinegary i i like i like hp fruity actually yeah but i like that one side with it but the uh so um, if, if anyone's listening from another country maybe they don't have hp sauce but we're talking about brown spicy brown sauce, sauce is tamarind chutney yeah, yeah technically that, it's what yeah, it is that's right. yeah, yeah, yeah that's right yeah it's it's a thing is it i think it's always funny when you go through to glasgow and you get you know a fish supper and it's like salt and vinegar not got any brown sauce, you know. Yeah, Edinburgh right. like brown sauce. Is East a big Coast, thing. East Coast, right. definitely yeah. East Coast with vinegar, and, and yeah. the, each chippy will have their own version. You know, yeah, yeah. we're going to use twenty five percent vinegar, and you know the rest sauce. Brown sauce, yeah. Yeah. brown sauce. But it's much thinner than the than the bottled. Oh, definitely. Sauce. Yeah, 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 yeah. I suppose they add more vinegar and so on. Yeah, yeah. It waters it down. It's, I mean, it is very much. I think the fruity one is much more chutney, probably to more its original form. I guess. It probably is. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. Uh, not, not another sauce podcast. We should do it. Oh, that's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We can review sauces. Houses of Parliament sauce versus Daddy's brown sauce. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, let's get into the sherry. I mean, look at that straight Gorgeous off color. the bat. Look at the colour. It's like color. a beautiful mahogany. So, yeah, this is a... Now, t- yes, tell us about this. This is 30 years old. It's a 30 year old old. So Apostoles is from the Gonzalez Bias Bodega. So this is a Palo Cortado. Very old Palo Cortado, so it qualifies as a Vores sherry, which very old signatum and rare. What is it? Uh, that's it. Vinum optimum rare signatum. That's it. Mm. So Vores. So that's the qualification after thirty years old. I think it gets that qualification. Is it twenty or thirty? Something like I, that. Do you know Charlie? I've actually heard Daz use that as a chat up line in a bar before. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is my game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you remember the Latin? Yeah, 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 my Latin, exactly. Look at my Vintimum Ottoman. Yeah, 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 totally. But, but what they do very well, actually, Gonzalez Bias, they, they bring in Pedro Jimenez brilliantly. They have their own estate, the Estevi estate, where they grow their own Pedro Jimenez grapes. They make their own wines, and quite often what they'll do is they'll blend them to create this sort of richer and sweeter sort of style. So that's what this is. Apostoli, well, Palo is a funny one, isn't it? Because it, it begins its life as a fino. That's right. It, it dies naturally as an Oloroso, um, but it's all by selection. So the winemaker proactively chooses which wines will be allowed to continue on and which ones don't, is my understanding of it. Because am I right in thinking that the um, Oloroso is, is it's, it's quite dry? Well, it's oxidative aging. That's, that's, yeah. Is that the word? That's the word, yeah. But Palacatado then becomes sweeter again. Yeah, because Afino is biologically aged. Under yeah. the yeast floor. Yes, yes. Which eats all the sugar and, yes. and dries out the wine. Um, now, when that yeast dies, the the wine then starts to transform because it changes with oxygen. But it can only do that at certain strengths. 
it needs to be under a certain strength, doesn't it, to allow it to to oxidative yes. uh, the process to sort of take place. So um, what you'll end up with actually with the Nolo Rosso is a fruitier wine because uh, and it'll be redder. It'll go rusty in colour, start yep. to change. And that's why these get nice and dark. That plus the fact it's also some of the Pedro Jimenez wines in here as well. So it's very complex. The, the, these oh, wines are going on here. Oh, there's loads going on. Licorice yeah. um, from those coffee. lovely Pedro Jimenez, coffees. But then also quite fresh still as well. There's some of those livelier notes still come through from its earlier days. The, the connection with whiskey is so unlikely when you think about where the places are. You think about the cultures that are involved. You know, you, you've got these highland remote <clears throat> distilleries in Scotland. How did they strike up long-term working relationships with people from the south of Spain who live in a completely different way to we do, to, to how we do. But when you spend time around, you know, people from distilleries and people from the winemakers, you know, down in the south of Andalusia, it makes perfect sense when you're there. The sensibilities are so similar. I'll show you something here. The, the, um, um, I don't know if you've come across this. British British and foreign foreign spirits. Yeah. Their history, manufacture, properties, etc. 1874. Yeah. Okay. Now in in this there's a this is 1874. The distiller whose outlay is large for casks will be inclined to give better terms to the merchant who will find his own casks. So use your own casks. And it is well known that whiskey stored in sherry casks soon acquires a mellow softness which it does not get when put into new casks. In fact, the latter, if not well seasoned, will impart a woodiness much condemned by the practised palate. In sherry casks, the spirit likewise acquires a pleasing tinge of colour which is much, much sought for. This is frequently imitated by the use of colouring, but it is not creditable to those who adopt such petty deceptions. Well, 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 oh, there we go. Isn't that interesting? That's so, great. So, so, yeah. as, as early as 1864, the, yeah. the, the sherry wood mat, so-called sherry wood maturation. But now you see, so we talk about sherry casks and so on. But what is forgotten is that, that sherry seasoned casks can be made from American oak yeah. as well as from European oak. Mm -hmm. And we tend to think that it, 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 it implies European oak maturation, yeah. which it doesn't. It's quite the opposite. And, yeah. Usually, because I think 95% of the casks that you'll see at Williams and Humber and Gonzalez Bias will well, be American oak, because they well, can't chop enough European oak trees down anyway. I mean, they're not well, that, to. Well, that's true. Yeah. And, and, the, and in Solera, the, they're, they're American oak. Because they're reliable, right? And yeah. I was told by, by um, uh, one of the Urquhart's, Gordon and MacPhail, um, that they were that who who bought a lot of casks from Williams and Humbert, that sometime in the nineteen sixties, the, the transport casks were made from American oak until sometimes in, in, in unspecified and it will have varied from shipper to shipper, mm -hmm. um, where they went over to, to European oak. Now the European oak is more tannic, as you know, mm -hmm. is gives a darker colour, gives a much more dry mouthfeel. Um, and so on. And I think that it's, it's European oak that Macallan made made a virtue of, mm -hmm. you know, the, the it for that for their the style of the, the mature malt whiskey mm -hmm. they were producing. So it's something of a misnomer to associate, immediately associate sherry casks with European oak. I totally agree. Yeah. And the yeah. the, the um, and I think if, if if I were ordering, I mean I, I I I was going to buy a couple of casks for my boys. Um 
um, actually from Modern American, and and I would have specified for the cast type I would mm. want would be American Oak X Sherry. Yeah. Unfortunately, the uh, uh, I ran out of money, and so did, did, didn't place the order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's us. Our final episode of the year. Yes. Aha. Yes. And uh, we shall return in late January. Uh, but before then, um, we must say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened, everyone who's joined us over the year, mm. and you know everyone that's contributed with samples. Uh, there's been a bit of heckling going on. People like Brendan McCarran giving us a bit of grief throughout the year, <laughs> uh, which we'd expect nothing less, and we, we enjoy it secretly. That's a, a good year, Mitch. And um, Mr. McLean, it's, a, as always, ending the year on a high, sir, with yourself. Oh, uh, it's a joy. It's a joy spending time with your boys. It yeah. really is. Yeah. yeah. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Yeah. So yeah. we poured out our final dram. Our final dram. Final dram. We we thought we'd uh, we'd we'd end this in style. So we have uh, you know we've done a. Well, I suppose we've been big fans of of, of the guys at Loch Lomond and um, Glen Scotia this year. So they kindly gave Daz a wee fifty-four-year-old Loch Lomond. So yep. that's what we've poured out here. Um, Charlie, you want to take us through? What you're getting on this, well, this bad boy? Well, it's far too small. It's far too yeah, small. Yeah, apologies. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a guy called Derek Ramsey who, who is fully to blame for these tiny, minuscule 50 mil samples. Derek, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can understand because the the the, the, the full there'll be it'll do it. How many bottles are there to win it? 55. <clears throat> there we are. 55 bottles in the world, and so they they're and, and they're very highly priced. So it's it's understandable, but I tell you what. It's a beautiful whiskey. It really is. It's, did you say 50, uh, 42, 42.1%? 42.1%. Yeah. So it's just over the. Uh, just hovering it's above. Still, yeah. It's still quite lively. It's it still is. quite fresh on the nose, but mellow, mellow, mellow. And the. Um, and I'm, I'm getting sort of toffee, really, sort of, sort of to, to, vanilla toffee notes. The. Uh, mm. We're getting that little bit of cherry, cherry weren't we, as well? Yeah. Cherry, that kind of yeah, kirschy we, we, kind of... Yeah, you'd yeah, mentioned yeah. sort of cherry chocolate sort Ch- of, yeah. yeah, cherry, cherry, cherry liqueur chocolates. Yeah. 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 Like you find sometimes in, in Dronach. Yeah. And I really like that. And, and you'd kind of... When you think of Loch Lomond as well, quite, this whiskey being 54 years old, very storied. You know, this distillery yeah. only opened in 66, I think. Uh, the Straight Neck Stills go in in 67. Um, and, you know, that lovely clean style of spirit probably had no intention of sitting in casks for as long as it had, mm. but it shifted into sherry casks in 1994. So what we're seeing is this uh, classic, almost lowland style, if you like, uh, you know, that Little Mill-esque whiskey, very clean, bourbon casks bringing lemons, oranges and things like that, but then poof, going up a notch to these cherry chocolates with that influence of European oak sherry cask, and it's um, it's delicious. I mean, I'm really enjoying it's, it. The, the only thing I would say is that the European oak has given it a very tannic dryness. Yeah. In, to, towards mm. the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a lovely whiskey. But I'm loving the fact that it's older than me, which is uh, it's getting hard to hard to find those whiskeys <laughs> yeah. these days. Right? <laughs> Only just older yeah, than so me. You're always young. You're 27. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You will you will get more skint as the year goes on, Mitch, if you behave <laughs> like that. Yeah, constantly looking for whiskeys that, that make you feel young. But, but a great whiskey to end the year on. This absolutely, yeah. great whiskey to end the, end the podcast on. Um, again, Charlie, thank you so much for joining us for it's our final a- episode. Huge pleasure. Thank yeah. you for, thanks very much indeed for including me. Mm. No, our pleasure. And thank you to all you have, who have been listening to our terrible banter 
for the year. We can't believe you've uh, you've actually stuck with us, but we do appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, we look forward to coming back in the new year with a load more episodes, a load more exciting guests like Charlie. It's going to be a lot of fun, right, Daz? Absolutely, absolutely. Merry Christmas to you all and uh, a great 2023. Slanger. Merry Christmas. Happy uh, New Year. Yeah. And Merry Christmas from me as well. Slanger, yeah. Slanger Wars.